Hello everyone, welcome to our teaching time in our online service this week. My name is Andrew Bowles, I'm the Senior Minister of St Mark's and it's great to be with you. We're continuing today our series on the Servant Songs in Isaiah and we're looking today at the second part of the last of the Servant Songs in Isaiah 52 and 53. If you want to learn more about the context of these songs and how we've got to where we are in this series, I'd encourage you to go back and look through our previous sermons and to understand the context and the background of why we're looking at these songs. So we're finishing up the Servant Songs in Isaiah this week. Next week we're going to add on an extra section later in Isaiah, which is one of the prophecies that flows out of uh, this series of uh, Servant Songs and which looks forward towards Jesus, which we think is appropriate as we're coming up to the celebration of Christmas. But let's think about this uh, reading that we've just had from Isaiah 53, the second part of this last servant song. Uh, for a number of years, I practiced a martial art called Aikido. Aikido is a Japanese martial art. It's a bit different to some of the other ones like karate in that Aikido is actually a defensive martial art instead of one that is offensive. So the purpose of this art and the basis of it is learning to use the flow of energy and movement in someone who attacks you in order to neutralize and to uh, disarm their anger, their aggression towards you, to control the situation and to control yourself. So the question that Aikido asks and a lot of other philosophies and uh, religions around the world ask is, how do you turn bad energy or something like violence or aggression into good energy, into peace and stability? How do you overturn negative situations into a positive light? Well, I think the servant song that we've uh, just been reading is about how does God transform bad things into good things? How does God transform a negative situation and the negative energy in the world into good things for his people? And the people of Israel, those who'd been uh, in the city of Jerusalem, were going through a very negative time when Isaiah was writing this song. They were in a period of exile. They were away from their hometown. They were being persecuted. They had been defeated in battle and many of them had died. And alongside that, they were carrying in themselves an extra weight of failure, of sin and of shame and the feeling that they had not measured up to their expectations of themselves and God's expectation of them. And what they learned, as many people do in that kind of situation, is that the natural reaction we have to these situations often only makes them worse. If we resist being oppressed, we get oppressed uh, harder. If we uh, try to work on our own shame, we often do things that make us feel worse. And so this is the situation that they were in. And so Isaiah's message to the people of Israel in this situation, I believe, is that God, their God, is going to turn this situation around by engaging with evil in the person of his servant and transforming it into something good so that they can be set free and transformed. Last week we saw that the first half of this song in some ways deals with the question of how can the, pe the sin of God's people, the sin that has led them into exile, how can that be taken away? And so we looked at uh, the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament and the sacrificial system there and thought about the topic of atonement 
and how in the religious life of Israel they learned about how God can take away sin. And we saw on this special day, the Day of Atonement, the people were called to put a set aside two goats uh, as an offering to God uh, for their sins. One of them was the live goat that was going to be sent away into the wilderness to carry the, the sin of the people away. And we talked about that last week. Uh, the scapegoat who was carrying and identifying with the sins of the people for that year. And the other goat was going to be the sin offering that was going to be offered to God on behalf of the people as a way of their reconciliation with him being affected. So last week we thought about the scapegoat that took away the sin of the people and and connected that with Isaiah's message of the servant as the one who would bear the sins of his people. Today we're going to think more about the sin offering and what that teaches us about the servant and about Jesus. So in Leviticus 16 verses 15 to 16 it says, speaking of the priest, He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. So in a sacrificial system, the way that it works, it's not something we're particularly familiar with today, but in this sort of sacrifice, the blood of the animal or the life of the animal that the blood represents, this, the life of this innocent animal is considered to be an offering on behalf of those of us who aren't innocent offering its life in place of ours. And because of that, it purifies the people who identify with it and allows them to remain in the presence of God. So sacrifice works by the principle of identification. We identify with the life of this animal or the life of something pure and say, this is what we wish to be. We wish to offer our lives to God in purity. And so we're doing it on our behalf. This kind of sacrificial idea is a bit of a mystery for us. It's difficult to grasp, but it uh, really gets to a spiritual reality that underlies a lot of what goes on in the Bible. And so what Isaiah is grappling with is in his own situation, and for us, how can God make his people right again? How can he make his people pure again so that their life can be in his presence again? in the way that it was and in the way that it should be. How can an offering be made for their sin? And so Isaiah says, actually, through the death and vindication of God's special servant, this person we've been looking at in the weeks past, this servant will be offering his life as a sacrifice and vindication for God's people, as though he were a sin offering in the Old Testament times. The servant is going to be the sin offering for the whole people. So in our reading today, in verses 7 to 8, it says, He, the servant, was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. It's clear from the way this is written that there is the possibility that Isaiah, as he was writing it, was thinking of a figure from his own day, perhaps a king or a prophet or another leader, who had been somehow punished or humiliated or persecuted 
and it was seen to be done on behalf of his people, someone who was falsely accused of wrong, led away in shame uh, to be taken to death, but who was then later vindicated. And Isaiah saw in this a pattern for the people of Israel, this pattern of the servant who will, on behalf of his people, take on their sin and on their behalf offer his life to God. And because he is this innocent person and, and this uh, death is unjust, then God will vindicate those who identify with him as he vindicated those who identified with the goat in the Day of Atonement. So for Isaiah, the sacrifice of this servant of God on behalf of his people, it purifies them before God. And the, the wonderful thing that Isaiah is seeing is that God is showing him that this is not just a symbolic animal on behalf of their people. This is a real person with whom they can identify, someone who really and intentionally offers their life on behalf of others in order that God will accept that. And so the point is that through this death of the servant or through the offering of his life, through his suffering, through his humiliation, through his un unjust accusation, the power of evil is concentrated on this person. It is overcome, it is transformed, and it is changed into the power of good. In verses 10 to 11, Isaiah says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. So God's plan for the servant involves the sacrifice of a representative person on behalf of the people, a sin offering of an innocent person who is capable of offering to God the life that his people have not offered to, them, to him in the past. And so because of that, evil comes strongly towards this servant and in his person, he neutralizes it and turns it into the means of salvation for God's people. So because of this suffering and death of the servant, everything turns around for the people of God. Their shame is taken away. Their uh, relationship with God is healed. They find forgiveness of their sin. And the possibility that they will come back from exile into their land again and experience God's presence again. So this picture in the sacrificial system in olden days is becoming a reality in front of them as this person offers himself to God on their behalf. So fundamentally, in the person of the servant, because of his sacrifice, death becomes life because death has been transformed into life by going through it. Now, that's not necessarily something, again, that we understand. We're not used to thinking of sacrifice this way. It's a bit more of a mystical perspective. And it requires a spiritual vision that is not uh, common in our individualistic culture of understanding how uh, we can identify with another person and how they can somehow do things on our behalf. But it's something that was considered very real in the Bible, and it's the foundation of our understanding of how God saves his people. And so for the Christians and the apostles in the New Testament, this is for them the basis of why the death of Jesus Christ on the cross can lead to the forgiveness of sins and the transformation of the whole world. Because in his person, Jesus is the representation of humanity before God. In the confrontation with our need for, for atonement, our need for reconciliation, our need for freedom and healing. And Jesus takes on the role of the servant in that place 
He is an innocent person. He is taken away to be killed. He dies, but in doing so, takes upon himself death and comes through to life and is vindicated on the other side of that. And so in Jesus then, this transformation occurs of this energy. The powers of the world come up against God and against his people to drag them apart, but they are then neutralised on the cross. And that experience is changed then into a power that brings healing and brings reconciliation and justification to those who take part in it. Jesus is the sacrifice, a pure life offered on behalf of the whole world and an effective one. In Hebrews chapter 10, for instance, 1 to 10 in the New Testament, we find there a radical reinterpretation of the sacrificial system in Leviticus in the light of what Jesus has done, and it speaks about what Jesus did on the cross. I'll read through this passage for you. Hebrews says in chapter 10, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And it says later, when Jesus came, first he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Understanding the background of the Old Testament sacrificial system, we can understand more about this complicated argument. When we are identified with Jesus, Hebrews says, as this sacrificial sin offering, then when he dies, when he offers his life, it is offered for us, and the benefits of that offering flow to us. The benefits of sacrifice, a new life, forgiveness of sins. We are made holy again. We are reconciled to God because we are identified with this perfect offering. Jesus fulfills this part of the servant songs as well. The person who will offer himself and his life on behalf of the entire world to bring them back to God. So the application for us today as we finish the servant songs is to understand that these songs, as we read them and understand them, they show us God's plan for salvation and the transformation of the whole world. Something that came out of the worst possible experience for the people of God, being in exile, separated from him, hopeless, and with no way back. But God found a way back for them through his servant. And so we know that because of that, this is how God works. Humanity will be healed and saved through God working through us as he worked through the servant and choosing to persevere with humanity, filling us with his spirit and, yes, sending his servant, his son, Jesus Christ, to live with us, to suffer with us, to die with us and to offer his life to bring us life. That is the good news of the coming of Jesus. That is what we are celebrating now. That is the Christmas message. The king of the world is born, lives, 
and dies as the servant of the world. And so when we are with him, we will live with him and we will become God's servants too and be his blessings to the world. So today, let's welcome Jesus, the servant, into our hearts and take part in his life today.